Uh, let's go to our encounter with God today. Let's begin in First Kings chapter 3 and verse 6. We are looking at words and their meanings. Okay, so this is a challenging one. And the reason that this is challenging is because we don't read the Bible in Greek or Hebrew. We read, we, we read it in English. We do indeed. Now, you may read it in a different language in your home. I don't know what language you prefer to use in your home. But for Liam and I and for The Breakfast Show, we read the Bible in English. English. The Bible is not written in English. And when you translate from one language to another, there are some words that just don't translate that well. You kind of pick the nearest, closest word that you can, but it doesn't really carry with it the full impact of the meaning that was originally intended. And so we lose a little bit in translation. Yeah, you know, the first word that comes to mind for me when when I think of this is the English word love. Okay. And the many different forms in the Bible. Probably the, one of the most popular, or the most well-known forms of the word love in the Bible is agape. Yes. So that's that's something that, and, and that means something very different to you know the love, or not very different, but it's it's not exactly well, we the that, same. We just that one word that we use for everything because um, you know we love our dog and we love the trees outside and we love going to a party and you know we use the word love in so many different ways. Whereas in Bible times, they had different words for each of those different ways that you used the word love. And each one of those different words, so you had familial love and you had uh, erotic love and you had agape love, and, you know, all these different words for love. And they, you know, indicated immediately which kind of love you were talking about. Whereas in the English language, it requires context. So when I talk about, hey, I love that tree outside. Um, it does not mean that I have a romantic attachment to that tree. It's just like really, really like that one. You appreciate what it, what yeah, it is. It's, it's yeah, it's a nice tree. It's like I don't want to cut it down. It's like leave it right where it is. Um, and and so, you know, and modern English tends to be a little bit more limited even than older English. And so you go back to older English and you've got other words for love like charity. And charity really hasn't, you know, we still, it still survives in the fact that we talk about charities and charitable organizations, but it doesn't survive in general usage as a word outside of talking about a particular aid organization. When do we ever use the word charity? Whereas, of course, in uh, King James English, the word charity was, you know, everyday usage, and you'll find it used in, you know, pl- places like First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, where it focuses in on charity and, of course, a kind of love that involves doing things for other people, uh, self-sacrificing love towards other people. Another word that is really interesting, one that I find fascinating, is the word atonement. Mm. Do you know where the word atonement come, came from? I, I can't say that I do. Okay, so this was a word that was invented. <laughs> it was actually invented. So basically what you've got is with the word atonement, when they came to put it in the... When they, they, they found a word in the Bible and they looked at the English language and they couldn't find... Anything in the English language that was even remotely an equivalent to the word atonement. And uh, so what they decided to do was to create a new word from scratch for the English language. And so this was, uh, this was actually a word 
that was created for the purpose of translating the Bible. That's how we get it in the English language. Uh, it never, it, it had no equivalent. Uh, the, the Hebrew word had no equivalent in the English language. And when they translated the Bible, they needed a word. And so they're like, well, let's just make one. So it's made from three words. Can you pick out the three words in the word atonement? Tone is one of them. Nope. Nope. Meant. <laughs> Meant is one of them, yes. Meant. At? At. 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 At is, the, at is a word. At. Meant. Own. Own. Are you struggling here this morning? Oh, is, struggling? Is, is, is at, own, meant? Nope. Own is not part of it. Own. At. Is, is the O part of it at all? Sort of? Not okay, really? Okay. Write it down and see if you can see, if you can see three words there. Write it down. Okay, I've got, got, got him doing a bit of an exercise here. And you can do the same exercise if you're at home and not on the road. Um, write the word atonement oh. down. Okay, so we've got at. What's the next word? One. At. One. Meant. Meant. At, at one meant. Sorry. I was, yes! My, my face was awake because I was writing at one meant. Okay. So when you write it down like that, uh, you can see it really clearly, can't you? At one meant. So they, got, they basically got three words. Stitch them together because they're basically like, okay, we can take this one word and put it into a sentence, but it comes up a lot of times in the Bible. We actually need a, a single word for it. And so they've got three English words, stitch them together, and it's like, yeah, being, becoming at one with God. At one minute. And so they made a new word called at one minute, and we now pronounce it atonement. At one minute. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue nicely, so atonement. Yeah, which is. And when it's written, or maybe someone. When you you speak it and you're a bit of a musician like Liam is, you think of tone. I do. um, Whereas when you write it down and you look at it, you can see the the at one minute there quite clearly. There you go. That's fascinating. Um, My mind has been. Expanded, expanded. This, expanded this morning. That's what it's all about. We're happy Indeed. to uh, expand people's minds. And if you'd like to expand our mind, then our number is 1-800-324-843. You can call us up and share with, us with your uh, favorite uh, uh, word or translation of a word that there is in the Bible. But we're going to look at the word this morning, which is the word chesed. Chesed. Yes. Which- and we are going to go to First Kings chapter 3 and verse 6. Okay, let me just flip to the right page. Yes. Verse 3 and chapter 6. Here we go. No, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 6. Sorry, I meant that. Uh, So 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6. Solomon replied, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Okay, so here the Bible talks about faithful love. Now, that's interesting because that comes from the word chesed, which is usually translated, so you're reading from the uh, NLT, but if you read it from a more word-for-word translation, it's going to be translated as mercy. All right, so we're going to look at a few different word, different uses here, but it's interesting that the NLT translators translates the word mercy in this case as faithful love because of the context Okay, so you have continued this great kindness. Sorry, you have shown great mercy, that's chesed to your servant David. You have continued this great kindness, which is chesed again. So mercy and great kindness go together in this English translation of this particular word in this verse. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. 
right, so I got I got Liam hopping on the other side of the desk here this morning. Uh, Psalms fifty-seven and verse three. Psalms fifty-seven and verse three is where we are heading to, and we're going to read the word uh, Chesed here again and see what it has to say. Okay, Psalms fifty-seven, verse three. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. I will send forth his unfailing. Love and faithfulness. Okay. Unfailing love and faithfulness uh, and sending forth his mercy in truth, it says in uh, the New King James right here. So he shall send forth his mercy or send forth his chesed. So this is something that can exude from somebody and they can send it out into the world. Uh, Micah chapter 7 verse 20 Okay, just you skipped a couple. <laughs> did, I, did I? Which one did I skip? Uh, oh, I did too. I did too. Psalm, Psalm 66, 66 and verse 20. All right, Psalm 66 verse 20 says, Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. And then next we've got... An unfailing love that comes from Chesed, that comes from the word mercy. Indeed. Uh, then we've got Psalm 143 and verse 8, which says, Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. So this is interesting. Your NLT is consistently, well, not consistently, but a lot of the time translating Chesed as unfailing love whereas the KJV, New KJV, is more often translating it as the word mercy. And what that really demonstrates is that the word chesed, which is translated as mercy, has a much deeper, deeper meaning than simply the mercy that we think of because it is not just, well, you got forgiven of that because I could, I could hate your guts um, and be forced to forgive you for something that um, happened or you did, um, and that's mercy. You get mercy because it's like, well, you know, okay, I have to forgive this guy because, you know, some legal loophole and I really don't want to. But when that happens, you've received mercy, right? I have indeed. But the biblical word mercy carries much greater depth than just being let off the hook, so to speak, because this is unfailing love mixed with mercy so that when your sins are forgiven it's like well you know what um i don't have i haven't just been forced into forgiving your sins because you know i didn't really want to forgive your sins but hey you went to confession and now i have to do it so um i'll begrudgingly let you into heaven no it's god sending forth sending out his mercy reaching out to us with his mercy sending it to us uh, in an effort to draw us to him and so that when we receive it, we're actually receiving his unfailing love. One of the books that we often promote here on uh, Faith FM are Answers to Prayer books by Roger Morneau, who grew up in French Canada, Quebec. And so uh, obviously very, very uh, Roman Catholic part of the world. And you know, as a, as a young kid, and this is going back a long, 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 long way, and it kind of illustrates the the point because you know he's he passed away as an old man, you know maybe ten years ago or so, something like that. I'm not sure how how far back, and so you know we're probably going back eighty years with the story that I'm about to share. But um, he remembered he he remembered you know his father having a conversation with a neighbour about somebody who had died, 
And of course, this was a very Roman Catholic community, and they're talking about this neighbor who had died and his father expressing the confidence that this person was now in heaven. And his neighbor's like, well, you know what? I don't know that he actually is in heaven because this guy had sticky fingers. And you may not have known this. And his father was like, nah, nah, he wasn't a thief. He didn't steal stuff. And he's like, well, you know, head over to his barn because they have barns rather than sheds. Head over to his barn right now. And you know that chain that you're missing and that, uh, you know, named off a list of uh, implements and tools that he'd been missing for a long time. You'll find those in his barn. And so his father sort of stopped and thought for a moment. And he's like, well, if that's the case, I now formally give those things to him. Now, his friend, his, his other neighbor was a bit stunned by hearing that. And he's like, wow, he's like, that's the first time I've ever seen a man who has forced God to take somebody out of hell and put them into heaven. And when you look at it that way, you know, it, it, it shows an attitude that was in that community or with that individual towards a God who is trying to keep people out of heaven rather than trying to get people into heaven. You know, when God has, has to have his hand forced to get someone out of purgatory and move them across into heaven, then, you know, that's, uh, that's a, very, very, it's a very poor attitude towards God. It's not an attitude of God sending forth his loving kindness and mercy. It's a God who is very begrudging about his mercy. Now, of course, that's not the attitude of general Christians, but um, it, in the past it tended to be that way. You know, if you go back some generations, there was definitely an attitude of you know, an angry God that was out there. All right, where are we up to? Do we get Micah? Micah yet? Okay. We're up we to Micah right now. So here we go. Micah chapter 7, verse 7. You will show us your faith. Whoa, 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 whoa. Micah 7, verse 20? That's what I meant. Micah chapter 7, verse 20. Okay. That, yeah, um, there's so many verses this morning. I'm getting a couple of them mixed up. But Micah <laughs> chapter 7, verse 20. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. There you go. Unfailing Re- love again. Reading that from the new KJV concerning Israel, he will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham. And so you've got truth and mercy being, you know, because this is actually a form of Hebrew poetry where the same thought is being repeated side by side. And so you've got the word truth and the word mercy being used as synonymous words. Now, that's interesting because what we've got here is mercy is unfailing love. Mercy is forgiveness. Mercy is truth. And when... You know, when I extend, you know, if you extend mercy to me, you know, I see that as being an act of forgiveness in today's world. But in the ancient world, in the Hebrew times, that Hebrew word chesed, it actually carried with it so much more. You would be extending to me unfailing love. You would be extending to me truthfulness, which means that you can be merciful to me and loving to me by telling me some hard truths about myself. It's one of those things that's become very, very unpopular within Christianity today whenever it says anything that is seen as a hard truth or the truth is spoken in an undiluted, unvarnished manner. You get all kinds of people who are jumping up and down like, well, that's not very Christian, you know. Jesus didn't talk to people like this, and so we shouldn't talk to people like this. And I'm sort of stopping and thinking to myself, well, you know, we do have the example of Jesus cleansing the temple twice, 
throwing over tables and chasing people around with a whip. You've got the example of John the Baptist who speaks about, you know, calls people a brood of vipers, calls them snakes to their face. Now, should we go around with that kind of attitude as Christians? No, not unless you're John the Baptist or Jesus Christ. Uh, but when you look at the Bible, there is a tremendous amount of precedent there for speaking the truth in honesty and reality and not just trying to varnish over the top of it and pretend like it is not there. Okay, so the word chesed, it describes God's love, his loving kindness, his mercy, his covenant attitude. Um, in the passage we've read, we've seen him show great mercy, uh, great kindness, uh, sending forth his mercy, his truth, um, and giving his truth. These are all different aspects of the word mercy or chesed. And so, yeah, it's always useful with some of the major themes of the Bible to do some research into the original words because you never know. You might you can learn the whole message right there in English. No problem whatsoever at all. But there's always a depth in the Bible that can never be exhausted. And a part of that, one aspect of that, is looking at the original languages. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. The Bible says... What does it say? Uh, chapter 6... Verse 24 says, Oh, I love this little passage. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Okay, so the word that we're going to look at this time is not the word chesed. We've uh, talked about that enough. This time it is a more commonly heard word. Some of you will have possibly heard this word before, and that is the word shalom. And, of course, shalom is what is found in the name of Jerusalem. Jeru shalom. Jeru shalom. Okay, so what does the word shalom mean? Shalom means, oh, I've, I've always thought it meant, I don't know what it traditionally means, but it's, it's been translated to English as Sabbath, has it not? No, that's, uh, no. sorry, no, that's Shabbat. Um, uh well, I often hear people saying Shabbat Shalom. That's what I was thinking of. Yes, because and those two words, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jewish, they go Jewish, Jewish people use those words together all the time. And when and we use, I, th- I guess, the equivalent for us is Happy Sabbath, Happy Happy ah, okay. Sabbath. So, yeah, yeah. is it? So I don't know not, if it directly means happy, but it no. is like a, a greeting. Or it doesn't a, not mean it. No, no. So is it? Is it almost like you, you're saying, you know, Happy Sabbath, have a good day, how are you? It's, it's a greeting or a. Or a Okay, the direct Salute. English translation Salute. is peace. Peace, right, yeah. Okay. Peaceful Sabbath. Peace be with you on this Sabbath. So that's the direct English translation. You're going to find that in many different places. And so if I read that uh, passage here from the King James Version, it says, um, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom or peace. However, shalom once again, is one of these words that has you know a tremendous amount of depth that you don't necessarily find uh, in the English language because you know it's much broader, it's much deeper. It can be translated as wholeness, completeness, well-being. And when you go through this particular passage of the Bible, which by the way is the oldest passage of the Bible that has actually ever been found in print. 
Uh, so this passage here, which is um, the priestly benediction, was found on the Dead Sea Scrolls that come from the First Temple period, which are the oldest portion of the Bible in existence today. Uh, but as you work, you work your way down through it, you know, the, this passage ends with the word peace or shalom, and really the whole passage is focused on the ending there because, you know, when it says, and may the Lord give you peace, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to not be fighting today. But if you actually really appreciate shalom, the Lord is giving you wholeness. He's giving you completeness. Mm. He's giving you well-being. Um, he's giving you, as you said earlier, happiness, which is why we say, you know, more many people might say Shabbat Shalom uh, because it's like we'll have a complete whole um, Sabbath of rest and well-being and peace and harmony um, being, you know, at, at one with, with Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, anyway, let's look at another couple of uh, examples we've got of this. The next one we're going to look at is from the book of Job. And if you could read for us Job chapter 3 and verse 26, we'll look at a bit of a contrast here. Job 3, verse 26, please, Liam. Okay, Job chapter 3 and verse 26 says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only trouble comes. Okay, so here this particular passage here, Job does not have shalom. So when the last passage, may, may God give you shalom, here Job does not have shalom. In other words, he doesn't have wholeness. He doesn't have completeness. He doesn't have well-being. His family has just been destroyed. His possessions have all been taken from him. His uh, wife has turned on him. His health has forsaken him. He's, he's riddled with disease. And so, no, he's not whole or complete. Neither is he well-being, and he does not have peace. It's interesting your translation there, the NLT... Uh, translates chesed as loving kindness, mm. whereas mine translates as mercy. And here, shalom, we both agree on the word peace. Indeed. Uh, mine was, uh, what was it there, verse 26. Um, I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. And so he had no no peace here. The, the uh, word quiet here is used for the word shalom. He had no shalom. Okay, another example. Psalms 29 and verse 11. Psalms 29 and verse 11. Got uh, Liam hopping on the other side of the studio right now. Uh, what have we got there for Psalms All right, Psalms 29, 29 and verse 11 says, uh, The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Okay, so this is an interesting one because, once again, this is poetry. And so you've got this synonymous language that is used, this repetition of thought. And the repetition of thought that is here is between strength and peace. And so when we receive strength, we receive peace. Uh, when, we re when we receive strength from God, we receive wholeness, completeness, well-being. And that is, um, uh, you know, uh, once again, deeper than just the concept of, okay, we didn't have a fight today. Mm. I do have a, a note in here saying that another word for peace in, in this particular verse is shalom. Yeah, that's so, nice. So yep. yeah, it's your marginal reference, and you might you probably actually have that in uh, many places. <laughs> that's just the Bible, first one that I've looked at. <laughs> a Bible with marginal references. Okay, Isaiah chapter nine and verse six. Isaiah nine and verse six. Right, Isaiah nine, 
Chapter 9, verse 6 says, uh, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, and we often refer to Jesus as being the Prince of Peace because we live in such a war-torn world, and we say, okay, when Jesus returns, he's going to bring peace to this planet but when you really grasp what shalom is all about, Jesus is bringing much more than just a cessation from warfare and fighting. Uh, when he is called the Prince of Peace, he's called the the Prince of Wholeness, Completeness, and Well-being. Um, and when you are whole, you are complete. You have well-being. You are at peace, regardless of what it is that is taking around, taking place around you. So you can be in a in a, in a in a place of great conflict, but if you have wholeness and you have completeness in God, you can experience the peace of God in times of great conflict. Indeed. Okay, so we've got one more here one in more. Isaiah. Isaiah 32 and verse 17. And his righteousness will bring you peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. Now, I do want to note that um, the, the previous verse, it did have uh, shalom, but this one does not. Ah, but it does. In but Hebrew, it, it does. It does in Hebrew. You just don't have the marginal reference for it. Indeed. Yes. Okay, so peace, shalom, um, mercy, chesed, such Words with so much meaning.